Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. Los Angeles County is lifting its universal mask mandate today. As KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier reports, that means face coverings will no longer be required in indoor public settings, whether or not you're vaccinated. Eight months after it was put in place, Los Angeles County will drop its indoor mask mandate after new federal data indicates area hospitals are no longer under high strain. Now anyone, no matter their vaccination status, can go without a mask in stores, bars, and restaurants. Barbara Ferrer is the director of the L.A. County Department of Public Health. She says another mask mandate isn't on the horizon right now, but that could change. COVID-19 is a deadly virus. It's still with us. It has ebbs and flows, um, and we need to take advantage of the good times that we're about to, you know, be in and then be prepared should there be a new variant of concern or we experience another surge. Ferrer said people can continue to wear a mask if they choose to, and businesses can decide to ask customers to mask up. The county also eased its vaccine verification rules, no longer requiring proof of the shots for outdoor mega events. But you'll need to keep your CDC card handy. In the cities of L.A. and West Hollywood, you still have to prove you are vaccinated before you can go inside a restaurant, bar, or gym. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Turning to the state, Governor Gavin Newsom is proposing a plan to force some people with severe mental health and addiction issues into treatment. Under the program, every county would be required to create a mental health branch of civil court. Judges could then order people experiencing psychosis into care. Santa Clara County Superior Court Judge Stephen Manley said the court needs this kind of alternative. Mental illness is not a crime, and we need to do something to help those people who get caught up in our system again and again and again. The California Health and Human Services Agency estimates as many as 12,000 people could qualify. State lawmakers still need to approve the proposal. A recently released report shows that California is way behind in helping people with COVID-related hardships pay their back rent. But as KQED's Kate Wolf reports, the state disagrees with the report's findings. California's eviction moratorium ended last fall. State officials said people could still be protected if they could prove they'd applied for rent relief. But that protection ends on March 31st, and hundreds of thousands of people are still waiting for aid. The study from PolicyLink finds that in a year of operation, only 16 percent of applicants have received aid. 
Madeline Howard is an attorney and one of the study's authors. She says the state must speed up the process and extend eviction protections. It would be so profoundly unfair and wrong for tenants to be evicted because of these bureaucratic delays. The state says the study uses old data. They maintain they've distributed aid to 41 percent of households that completed an application and more is going out each week. For the California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. Now on to immigration. Immigrant and worker rights advocates gathered in Sacramento yesterday in support of the first ever unemployment benefits for undocumented immigrants. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. As businesses closed during the pandemic, undocumented immigrants were ineligible for unemployment insurance, even though they contribute an estimated $3 billion each year in state and local taxes. Now, a new bill by Assemblyman Eduardo Garcia from Imperial County would pilot a program offering $300 a week for up to 20 weeks to undocumented people who become unemployed. Here's Los Angeles State Senator Marielena Durazo, a co-author. California needs to build a strong and inclusive safety net for all Californians. The pandemic was not the first, nor will it be the last crisis. More than 5 million people in California are undocumented or live with an undocumented relative. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. At least 90,000 restaurants and bars across the country have closed since the beginning of the pandemic. That's according to the Independent Restaurant Coalition. And while the recent drop in COVID-19 infections are encouraging, new variants and future waves are not out of the question. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi says that all that uncertainty has restaurant owners on edge. The Newsom administration says it's still focused on getting people vaccinated and boosted and making sure hospitals are prepared in case there's another surge. But gone are the days of a full lockdown of businesses. That's welcome news for Evan Rich, chef and owner of Rich Table in San Francisco. In the restaurant industry, we're all accustomed to we do this for the love and business is secondary and we don't think about money and all that stuff. But in reality, we run a business and need to make sure, you know, people's livelihoods are dependent on us paying them and staying open. Rich says that if there's anything the pandemic has taught him over the last two years, it's that the restaurant industry has to be flexible. So while he's pleased that California is moving into this new phase, he's already making plans for how to respond if things get worse. Having the ability to kind of make choices on the fly to adjust your business is kind of what we've learned. Rich Table was one of many restaurants in California that decided to close at the height of the Omicron surge. And it meant thousands of dollars in lost revenue during one of the busiest times of the year. Add that to the massive amounts of debt bars and restaurants have accumulated during the pandemic, 
and many say they are now at risk of closure. A recent survey of independently owned bars and restaurants that applied for federal funding but were denied, about two in three, found 80% would be forced to close permanently if they don't get financial relief soon. Silicon Valley Congressman Ro Khanna says that's simply unacceptable. Everyone knows one of their favorite restaurants, which is closed. We can't have that in this country. We need to provide uh, restaurants with help. In late January, Khanna introduced his own legislation that would offer small businesses, like mom-and-pop restaurants, tax credits to offset a portion of state and local taxes. He hopes it can be part of a larger budget package that's being negotiated right now in Washington. Small businesses, small restaurants, these brick-and-mortar stores, these are my priority when we look at who deserves relief. It's not just financial survival that has restaurant owners on edge. It's also the ever-changing rules put in place for how they can remain open and operate safely. Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Galley has said that while the state is lifting its masking requirement for indoor businesses, health officials could go back to enforcing it if the virus surges once again. For Evan Rich, he's recommending not requiring that his employees wear face coverings, but he understands that a lot will depend on a person's comfort level. We're all adults here, so I want to make sure that everyone understands the risk, and as long as they feel comfortable with it, I am, and, you know, I... I take my health into my own hands, and I, you know, respect the fact that they do as well. When it comes to financial relief, Rich says he's hoping he'll receive federal funding this time around. But if it doesn't happen, he'll have to find a way to move forward. And that could mean making some changes, like paring down his menu, or adjusting what kinds of ingredients he's able to offer his customers. Congress's deadline to pass a budget for the fiscal year is March 11th. For the California Report... I'm Keith Mizuguchi. A new podcast, Idolo, The Battle of Chalino Sanchez, follows the remarkable story of a Mexican singer whose career was cut short at its peak when he was murdered in the early 1990s. Both Sanchez and the creators of the podcast have deep roots in Southern California. KQED's Blanca Torres tells us more about Sanchez and why his story still resonates three decades later. In the 1980s, a young Chalino Sanchez was just another Mexican immigrant hustling to survive in Southern California. On weekends, he could be found selling tapes of his music at swap meets or singing at backyard quinceañeras, clad in his signature western wear and cowboy hat, tilted to one side. In a few years, he became a best-selling singer whose music flowed from California to Mexico, mesmerizing fans with narco corridos, songs that told stories about outlaws and drug traffickers. This is a type of ballad that reminds you of what your abuelitos listened to, or what your parents or your tias and tios listened to. Gati de los Rios is an assistant professor at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Education who has researched how students of Mexican descent relate to corridos. It is a form of literacy. It's a form of reading and writing. It's through corridos that a lot of young people learn allegory, hyperboles, similes, metaphors. Sanchez was only 31 when he was found shot to death after a concert in his home state of Sinaloa. 30 years later, his songs have hundreds of millions of streams and continue to bump from home stereos, at parties, and on radio stations throughout California. 
I've been trying to tell this story professionally in mainstream media for like 10 years. Eric Galindo is co-host of Idolo. He wanted to tell Sanchez's story in a way that would appeal to other Mexican-Americans like himself, who felt seen in his music. I think it was the idea that you're in this country and you don't feel like, like you belong. And here's a guy who definitely does not sound like he belongs on stage. And he's doing it anyway, and he's doing it with passion and with gusto. That certainly resonates with me, you know. While fans still celebrate Sanchez, critics say he normalized machismo and narco culture. But Jorge Herrera, an expert on Mexican music who teaches at Cal State Fullerton, said Sanchez is part of a long line of corrido singers attempting to capture real-life stories. They're singing about what's going on in Mexico, and you cannot blame that on the corridos like the narco war, the, the drugs, all that came first, and the, the music is just a reflection of what's happening. Herrera said that the abrupt end to Sanchez's career plays a role in how he and his music are remembered. The reason he has this big appeal is one of the big reasons why, like, Tupac will never die, while Biggie will also never die, because they sort of became like, like martyrs in their music. You know, they died at the peak of their career, singing their music because of their music. The Idolo production team commissioned a new corrido about Sanchez. The verses include the refrain, not even the bullets could kill him. His legacy lives on here, just like on the other side. For the California Report, I'm Blanca Torres. And that's the California Report for this Friday, March 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Chris Hoff, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Toven Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.